This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. 0.3 billion bushels. Meanwhile, the carryover for new crop corn is expected to be around 2.7 billion bushels. And the markets believe the carryover for U.S. wheat will be approximately 950 million bushels. The USDA reports a trio of private sales to China this morning. The largest is a sale of about 1.37 million tons of corn, with just over half to be delivered this marketing year. There are sales of 190,000 tons of hard red spring wheat and 130,000 tons of hard red winter wheat. Both are scheduled for delivery in the coming crop year. Rounding off prices at the Chicago Board of Trade, soybean futures are steady to lower on Friday morning. The August soybean contract is down a penny at 8.96 per bushel. August soy oil is up more than a tenth of a cent at 28.37 US cents per pound. August soy meal is down a buck 30 at $296 per hundredweight. Corn futures are lower Friday morning with the September contract down 3 cents at 3.46 per bushel. Chicago oats are steady to higher with the September contract unchanged at 2.88 and a half per bushel. Wheat futures are mixed Friday morning. Chicago September is up two and a half at 5.27 and a half. Kansas City September is down two at 4.55. And Minneapolis September is up two at 5.28. That's a look at the ice futures and the Chicago markets for Friday morning, July 10th. For Markets Farm in Winnipeg, I'm Glenn Halleck. There are no such things as small chores on your farm, so you need equipment that works as hard as you do, especially during harvest season. That's where New Holland and Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John come in. During New Holland Harvest Days, get terrific deals on equipment to help you work more productively. Save with 0% financing and cashback offers on select tractors, hay tools, and harvesting equipment. Stop by Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John today for details. But hurry, Harvest Days end September 30th, 2020. The opinions expressed during this show do not represent those of this station. If you've missed any of this show, you can follow the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM. Welcome to another episode of Moose Talks. We're going to be talking with Gary Foster, the mayor of the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality, a little later on. Uh, They signed, or were awarded, I should say, an enormous community forest license with their partnership with the Fort Nelson First Nation. So we're going to talk a bit about what that means for the economy and what that means in general. Uh, To start, though, we are on the line with Dr. Nell Wyman, the acting deputy chief medical officer of the First Nations Health Authority. We're going to talk a bit about a report that came out earlier this week that uh, says overdose uh, deaths among First Nations, Métis and Inuit people in B.C. has spiked significantly, almost doubled, in fact. Uh, She joins me on the line from West Vancouver. Good morning, Dr. Wyman. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for taking some time to talk to us today. So as I said, uh, overdose deaths from June, uh, June, pardon me, January to May this year are at 89 First Nations people, and that's almost double what they were uh, in the same time period last year. And only 
20 shy, I believe, of what we had all of last year in the province. Uh, what does this mean in general? Because there's a lot of sort of stats that you guys put out about this and how it's affecting First Nations people a lot more than it is kind of non-First Nations people. Can you kind of explain the numbers to us a bit about what this means? Right. So just to give a little bit of background about the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. it has been a public health emergency uh, that was declared by the previous provincial health officer more than four years ago. And First Nations Health Authority has been engaged in a number of activities and initiatives to try to reduce the numbers, you know, the harms associated with opioid use. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, since 2016, we had been showing some progress, uh, uh, positive progress, uh, especially during 2019, where we saw a significant reduction in the number of deaths of First Nations people related to toxic poisoning. And unfortunately, with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, what we're seeing in 2020 so far in the first five months for which we have data Uh, As you mentioned, we're seeing uh, death rates go back to the initial, you know, the rates that initially were seen at the time that the opioid public health emergency was declared uh, and quite tragic, obviously, uh, Mm -hmm. for the families and communities who have lost loved ones too soon. Now, as you mentioned, I mean, this has kind of been since the the pandemic was uh, kind of the onset of the pandemic. Do you have a sense as to why this time has been so difficult for uh, First Nations people who are maybe struggling with opioid addiction and why there has been such a surge in overdose deaths among them? Well, I think uh, we're going to spend probably some time looking quite deeply into, you know, the underlying issues of why this has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do know that, you know, with the onset of the pandemic in mid-March that, you know, in British Columbia, we essentially went into a lockdown of sorts. And, you know, many places and services were closed, including uh, some treatment centers, for example, and various harm reduction and substance use treatment programs either, you know, closed their doors to in-person visits Uh, And it took people a bit of time to switch to perhaps a virtual way of of providing services. Mm -hmm. We also know with the um, messaging to stay at home and be physically distant, and initially the messaging was to be socially distant, so that message of, you know, sort of being on your own or being by yourself uh, seems to be related to uh, overdose deaths that have taken place while the person who is who has used has been using alone, um, and then there there are other issues involved with you know obviously be, with the closing of borders and such. Uh, we know that we're dealing with a much more toxic uh, drug supply than we were uh, pre-COVID. So you know that's just three factors of you know probably many that account for what we're calling you know the. the we're talking about unintended consequences of the pandemic. And unfortunately, the uh, number of deaths uh, due to overdose has been one of the most tragic um, and negative unintended consequences that's happened. 
Absolutely. Uh, does that mean then, in a sense, and again, you sort of said there's going to be a lot of reflection and it's going to take some digging to sort of identify exactly what it was, but like a clean drug supply, if we were able to supply that, uh, say, God forbid, there's a second wave and things kind of go back uh, to being locked down again. Would that help ameliorate the situation significantly in your view? Or do treatment centers need to find a way, uh, as one of the examples you offered, to stay open if we have to go back to doing more physical distancing and have more physical distancing orders in place again? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that the release of this data um, earlier this week has really um, provoked a lot of discussion and work that the First Nations Health Authority is doing with its partners. And certainly uh, having people who use substances, opioids, for example, having safe supply is one of the um, potential um, interventions that we can offer people in addition to, for example, providing more support, um, both harm reduction and substance use treatment, but also mental health services. Uh, we know that, you know, there are many, uh, you know, in most cases, people who use substances have, you know, there's a reason why they use substances. They're in pain, they're in distress, and it's related to underlying mental health issues as well. So, you know, safe supply definitely is something that we're talking about with our partners. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be, uh, a, you know, a fair degree of support. One thing that we do need to work on, I think, is having... Uh, providing more uh, education and information to potential prescribers, you know, people who may not necessarily feel comfortable prescribing a safe supply, but realizing that what we're, what we're doing by not prescribing a safe supply, we're actually perhaps contributing to deaths that may have been prevented. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I wanted to dig into this a bit. As I understand, uh, this is seems to be affecting uh primarily urban centers. Um, uh, when it comes to like rural kind of areas, even like the Peace Region or the Northern Rockies where we happen to be, uh, have you also, can you say, seen a change in the number of overdose deaths in rural areas? Has it also been going up? Maybe just not to the same rate as, say, urban centers like a Prince George or Vancouver and area? Yeah, you, I mean, what you just what I agree with what you're saying. I mean, we do have definite uh, what we call hot spots identified. Mm -hmm. You know, places where there are relatively large numbers of overdose deaths, and they tend to be uh, centered into the larger urban areas or cities across the province. But what we do know from this latest uh, release of data for the first five months of 2020 is that people are people have actually died due to overdose in places where we've never seen overdoses before. So again, it, you know, these numbers, uh, these numbers encourage us to really uh, come up against the stigma that we might hold about people who use substances, that it's not just people, you know, sort of living rough on the streets or in, um, you know, uh, places, urban centers, you know, like the downtown east side, and I don't want to stigmatize that community by, by mentioning them. Mm -hmm. But we have to overcome that stigma because substance users come from all walks of life and uh, they are using in their communities, in their homes, and what we're finding is that they're using alone. And so that there's no one there to administer 
um, naloxone, for example, or to get them to a healthcare center. So, you know, part of what we're going to really be working on over the next number of weeks and months is having hard conversations about that stigma. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one, one thought that I had mentioned earlier in the week is, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're dealing with um, an infectious disease, a, a, you know, a, 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 it, it's literally a pandemic of disease. So people, you know, as a whole in the province, you know, we've done such a good job at flattening that curve that they were talking about. And that literally took place like within three to four months. Mm -hmm. You know, we had dealt with it. You know, the rates of community transmission right now, of COVID are quite low. We have very few cases, new cases, but this, opioid crisis has also been a public health emergency so we have dual public health emergencies but the opioid crisis has been going on for more than four years mm -hmm. so that forces us to look at why is that and i think part of it comes down to the messaging for the covid pandemic is we're all in this together but when we think about how when we examine how we think about the opioid crisis the the messaging is kind of like thank goodness it's you and not me, mm -hmm. right? So we're not in this together. And I think that partly accounts for why when the pandemic hit, we had this, you know, pretty significant, drastic um, increase in the numbers of people who have died, unfortunately, due to the opioid uh, crisis. Mm -hmm. Now, as part of your press release and related to this, um, you talked to uh, you mentioned systemic racism and uh, as i understand earlier this week mary ellen terpel lafon's investigation into systemic racism in bc's health system uh is kind of underway it's going to be happening do you have a sense of what kind of an impact that may have uh, on reducing perhaps the number of future overdose deaths among first nations people if we take a hard look at ourselves and say how is systemic racism um playing a part in this absolutely um <clears throat> we sort of have moved here at first nations health authority into uh you know for a couple of months there we were really focused almost entirely on the covid response our public health response to the covid pandemic uh and then because of the numbers we were seeing you know we again turned our our, our attention to uh the opioid crisis and now with the uh you know the the revelation, so to speak, about the drinking game that's, that was played uh, in an emergency department has really brought the whole issue of, of racism, systemic racism, to the forefront. So here at FNHA, we feel like we're dealing with what our interim CEO called a trifecta of really challenging things to work on. And I don't, you know, I don't doubt that uh, racism uh, plays a role in First Nations people having a reluctance to access services, particularly within the mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, and so people don't, uh, you know, they don't want to seek services, partly because of the stigma, but also because of the racism that may be experienced. And one of the things that has, um, that we've learned from this newest release of data is that uh, from the, from the chief coroner is that these overdoses also consist of people using multiple substances. So not just intending to use opioids, but using other substances as well. For example, alcohol. And alcohol is, you know, one thing that uh, in some ways it's the elephant in the room. We, mm -hmm. we 
we hesitate to talk about it because we don't want to we don't want to stereotype people we don't want to uh, you know increase that stigma or reluctance to seek care but you know time after time communities identify alcohol also as a, a substance of priority for them that they want to see addressed so um, that's something we also have plans to work on this year um, we're working in partnership with the British Columbia Center on Substance Use to develop um, an Indigenous supplement to the alcohol use disorder guidelines that came out provincially uh, in November so all of these things in combination we you know we are encouraging starting yesterday for people to participate for First Nations people to participate in the inquiry led by Mary Ellen Turpel Lafond and asking people to share their stories of what they've experienced and I think um, it's no surprise to, to me and some of my colleagues we've worked in this area for many years but I think uh, for the province, um, it's going to be, I think, quite revelatory to hear the extent and severity uh, of poor treatment and racist, racist treatment that people have received uh, in the healthcare system. And the only other thing I would add is I think, you know, I, I am proud that this is happening, that the discussion is finally coming to light. Mm -hmm. And I think British Columbia, by undertaking this painful at times, examination of racism and systemic racism will be a um, example for the other provinces and territories to look at themselves um, across the country, and then we can move forward in a, in a reconciliation-based way uh, as a country. All right, we're going to have to leave it there for today. But Dr. Wyman, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us today. Thank you very much for having me. All right, we'll be right back with Gary Foster right here on Moose Talks. You've got things to haul. You're farming, you're working in the patch or construction, and you need reliable trailers to get the job done. At Legacy Trailer Rentals, they get it. So they offer you a wide variety of trailer sizes and styles to get her done. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Gravel trailers, equipment haulers, combination trailers, they've got them and more. Call Legacy Trailer Rentals now at 780-518-1177 and check out LegacyTrailers.ca. This summer at Tim Hortons, when you're craving a Tim's ice treat, we say go for it. Go for an indulgent strawberry creamy chill, a delicious Oreo ice cap, or a stronger, richer iced coffee. Go for one today, only at Tim Hortons. At participating restaurants for a limited time. Oh, there's nothing I love more than throwing some delicious meat on the grill. And I get it all from M&M Food Market. Stop in today and check out their lineup of delicious chicken, pork, steaks, sausages, burgers, kebabs, and more. Perfect for summer grilling. And of course, I love to throw a little, oh really, shrimp on the barbie. Come on, who put this line in there? Seriously? For all your summer barbecues, head to M&M Food Market. Making real food for real life. Visit mmfoodmarket.com. Summer. It's that season where your furnace gets to take a little break. It's also a great season to have your furnace cleaned and serviced. At Martian Sons, they've been cleaning and repairing furnaces in the Peace River region for over 50 years. As a locally owned family-run business, it's their goal to make sure your family is safe and warm. So this summer, let the Marsh family help your family. Book your furnace cleaning and service before fall hits with Martian Sons. Furnace repairs and more in Fort St. John. See martiansons.ca. 
Watch this show live on Facebook or download the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Welcome back to Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. We're joined by Gary Foster, the mayor of the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality. Now, and we're going to talk a bit about their historically large uh, community forest license that uh, they were awarded along with the uh, Fort Nelson First Nations that they are in partnership with. Uh, Good morning, uh, Mayor Foster. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Dub. How's everything at Moose FM this morning? Everything's well here. It's nice and sunny here. I hope it's sunny up your way, too. It is. Excellent. Get some sunny weather. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So why don't you briefly start by telling us a bit about what this agreement entails? Uh, You're in a partnership with the Fort uh, Nelson First Nations on this, and you were awarded the largest uh, community forestry license uh, in B.C. history, as I understand it. What does that mean? What what does that kind of look like to you? Well, the community forest in Fort Nelson, as you mentioned, is the largest uh, community forest in the province of British Columbia with uh, 217,000 cubic meters of wood available for harvest. And it'll be overseen by a board of directors that's uh, um, a joint board of directors between the Fort Nelson First Nations and the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality. Now, um, this is um, an area-based tenure so uh, it's not just an amount of timber, but it is a land-based tenure. So if we don't use some of the wood in one year, we can carry it forward to another year, which is good. Uh, once in full operation and with the resumption of local manufacturing, it'll provide revenue to the partners uh, for reinvestment in the community, which is just key for us. So that um, you know we have this, this fiber available and it's providing uh, revenue into the community. Uh-huh. Um, the pursuit of this agreement has also strengthened the working relationship between us and Fort Nelson First Nations, and that's very important to us um, going forward. Okay. Now, what about this, as you you kind of mentioned revenue, which is always very important, um, but what about this is better than, say, the status quo before? Because uh, as I understand it, Fort Nelson has a long history with uh, you know uh, having uh, timber and, and logging companies and whatnot. Why is this better than sort of what was kind of came before it? Well, we've been working long and hard to reestablish a forest company in Fort Nelson, and getting the CFA uh, gives us joint control over a significant supply of good quality timber. Mm-hmm. Um, it affords us a, a tangible asset to uh, talk to investors about, and we can determine who we sell it to. We can use it to uh, influence investment that will uh, process the wood locally rather than simply ship it away. And it's a building block for jobs and the diversity of a stable economy in our area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll eventually provide a source of revenue to the community and it'll help make uh, the Northern Rockies an even better place to live. Being an active partner uh, or player in the industry through the CF Corporation uh, gives the partners a direct window into the industry as well and uh, support even better decisions as far as the utilization of our forest base goes. Mm-hmm. So that's, in a nutshell, why this is so important to us. Was that kind of out of your control before, as in like the company would maybe, or a company perhaps, would get a license from, say, the B.C. government, and then you'd kind of have no control over uh you know, as you say, revenue coming in or, or jobs and that sort of thing. Does this just kind of help you have uh, more 
influence, as you say, on uh, kind of the harvesting of lumber in this community forest in a way that wasn't present before. Yeah, so that's exactly it. And now we we are we end up being um, what would I say maybe uh, instead of uh, tenants in our own house, we're more uh, masters in our own house. I see. We get to decide how this is allocated and and uh, it allocated in such a way that it maximizes the benefit to our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, in fact, I, I believe in the press release, you called it the agreement, a turning point in the history of the entire community. Uh, so I guess my question is, you've talked about revenue and whatnot. Do you have any sense of what the economic impact could look like, even in dollar and cents? Is there something you're both mm-hmm. kind of hoping for in terms of that, like a value amount? Well, well, we hired Stantec, and Stantec said uh, that this um, establishing the forest industry in the northern Rockies could produce over 10 years $5 billion, which wow. provides a lot of tax revenue to the province and to the federal government. And you'll notice that yesterday the federal government came out and said that they are just over the COVID-19, 342 billion dollars uh-huh. uh, deficit so uh, you know we want to help them out with this problem of their deficit and you know the the five billion dollars of economic activity in this area just to give you an example that five billion dollars would be enough revenue um, to service the debt on this entire 342 dollar or 242 billion dollar um, deficit that the federal government is running now Granted, not all that $5 billion would be tax revenues, but it would certainly go a long way to help uh, the federal and provincial governments in their costs of addressing mm-hmm. COVID-19. Now, what's next in the process, then? You have the license for this. Uh, do you essentially kind of go on a blitz to kind of attract investment, as you say, and say, come come harvest our lumber, you know, bring your workers, uh, you know, br- build a mill or, or take over a mill that's already... Oh, what's next in the process for you? Well, there's a couple of things, Deb. Um, first of all, we talk about 317,000 cubic meters in our community forest, but that's not all the wood that's available in the Northern Rockies. In mm-hmm. our forest district, if you take the community forest and you add it to what the other existing tenures are in our area, it comes out to 3 million cubic meters of wood. And this 3 million cubic meters, if I'm not mistaken, is the largest uh, amount of um, unharvested wood volume in North America, all of North America. Wow. Um, so so the CF, is, of course, is going to be handled, as I said before, by a board of directors and the resources controlled by that uh, community forest board. Um, and they're going to continue to market um, that wood to potential um, uh, users of that, um, so the, the mills that you hear about. And the Northern Rockies is also going to continue to market that resource to, um, to other mills or to other companies that might locate in Fort Nelson. The key thing for us is we don't want to harvest wood to throw on a railway train to send someplace else for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. We want this forest uh, resource uh, manufactured locally to benefit our community, of course. Okay, well, it certainly sounds like it'd be an enormous uh, boon to the economy uh, in the future for the Northern Rockies and Fort Nelson area. So 
uh, Fort Nelson. Pardon me. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Doctor, uh, pardon me, <laughs> Mayor Foster. Thank you so much for taking some time to uh, talk with us and uh, break this down with us this morning. Well, Dub, it's been a pleasure, and uh, anytime you want to um, give me a call and we can talk about other issues in the Northern Rockies, I'm glad to uh, make the time. Sounds good. All right, we'll be right back to wrap things up right here on Moose Talks. Thank the you. City of Fort St. John and Napid Industries would like to advise the public that 100th Street will be closed at 96th Avenue until October 1st. Detour routes are in place. Please follow posted signage and the direction of traffic control personnel at all times when you're in the area. 100th Street will be closed between 95th Avenue and 97th Avenue until October 1st. All businesses will remain open and accessible at all times. The City of Fort St. John and Napid Industries thank you for your patience while we continue to improve our city. Now that you've got time to focus on money-saving ideas, let's draw your attention to the lights on the top of your tower. Did you just change them not too long ago? Petron Communications can help you out so that you can keep your eyes on the ground and not have to look up again. Changing your incandescent tower lights to energy-efficient LED housing will save you money on power and you'll never have to change those lights again. In times like these, it's wise to find ways to cut expenses. And this is a bright idea that lasts. Petron Communications, ready to do the work today so your future will be lit tomorrow. If you're looking for hassle-free internet services, call the Peace Region Internet Society today. With coverage throughout most of the Peace, PRIS can get you connected quickly without the hassle of contracts or bundles. Visit PRIS.ca or call 1-800-768-3311 for more information. Hi, this is Ted with PIMS Production Equipment. Talk to us at PIMS for electrical work, air compressors, pumps, valves, relief valves, office phones, and computer networks. Experience the best in service. Check us out at PIMS.ca or call PIMS at 250-787-0808. Quiznos has brought back their Greek gyro. Enjoy seasoned beef and lamb, crumbled feta, banana peppers, crisp lettuce, and red onions topped with tzatziki sauce on a flatbread, sub, sammy, or in a salad. The Greek gyro is back. Try one today at Quiznos beside Walmart. Our community first. This is Moose Talks with Dub Craig on Moose FM. Our thanks again to Dr. Nell Wyman from the First Nations Health Authority and Gary Foster, the mayor of the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality, for joining us to uh, talk today. If you happen to have missed this episode or you'd like to hear it or watch it again, you can uh, check out uh, or rather download the podcast at energeticcity.ca slash moose talks or check out the video on the Moose FM and energeticcity.ca Facebook pages. They will be available to rewatch shortly. Moose Talks is produced by Adam Rayburn with studio production by Lindsay Cooper. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Join us next Friday at 10 a.m. for another episode of Moose Talks, a weekly talk show about Fort St. John and the North Peace. Energetic country. I was so cold and lost And nothing seemed to ring true I couldn't bear the cross For everything I've been through And each day I knew I needed a change But there was no way No way Then 
Moose FM. Playing 100.1 Moose FM. Hey, beautiful, what's your name? I know you like it when I play that game. Like I like it when you take my hand and pretend like you ain't gonna give it back. You got my mind all over you, got me feeling 16, kind of green. I wanna make a move. I've driven down this road a time or two, but every curve around you feels brand new. I'll be around.
joining you on this Friday. Amazing. We're finally seeing some nice weather, so you know what that means. Patio beers. I'm so excited. It's a Friday. The weather's looking fine for the rest of the day, so I'm going to try and get outside and enjoy a couple brews, and it's also my... Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.